Welcome to Arts Express. This is Prairie Miller and on the show. There are two people in me. I would like to be Maria, but there is the callus that I have to live up to. Who has to win, Maria or callus? What brings you out to the line? Maria Kala, she's the greatest. Only for her would I do this. To miss her would be really a crime. This woman is undoubtedly the greatest singer of this century. As a technician, she's magnificent. As an actress, she is magnetic. Those were scenes from the Tom Volk documentary, Maria by Callas, an intimate portrait of Callas, considered one of the most renowned and influential opera singers of the 20th century, and who would have been 99 years old this month. Now Wolf has expanded that vision of Callas in a stage production based on her creative life, Letters and Memories, with Italian actress Monica Bellucci portraying Callas and sharing a glimpse as well into her upcoming film, The Girl in the Fountain, with Bellucci inhabiting the life on screen of Swedish actress Anita Ekberg and that iconic Ekberg role in Fellini's La Dolce Vita that led her to being devoured by her own icon, not unlike Marilyn Monroe. Monica Bellucci joins us from Paris, but first... In this week's Arts Express, suppressed news not coming to you in the corporate media anytime soon. Yes, there was indeed a demonstration outside Congress when Ukrainian President Zelensky turned up there with great fanfare to, well, demand more weapons and billions of dollars. Here's Max Blumenthal, who covered the protest outside for RT then followed by feisty legal and media analyst Lionel on what may or may not be in the political global forecast for the new year. There was a small anti-war protest on East Capitol, right at the front of the Capitol. And as I was standing there, a Ukrainian diaspora delegation just rolled up, started taking pictures, and I began questioning them. Nope. Is 45 billion not enough? Nope. Not enough. How much how much more should we give to Ukraine instead of our own people? Do you do you, do you support the Azov battalion? There's no more of an Azov battalion. There's no more Azov. Battalions were were trained and recruited back into a formal professional army over the last 8 years. So the neo-Nazis were brought into the army. No, there are no neo-Nazis There's in the none. army. So no answer about if Ukraine is a democracy, why did Zelensky ban 13 opposition parties? Martial law. Read the definition of martial law. Sounds undemocratic. Why did he ban the Russian wing of the Orthodox Church? The Russian Orthodox Church was serving as a treasonous organization and was was found with materials that were illegal and financing the, the enemy. Wait, hold on a minute. That woman you just heard turning up for that Zelensky congressional celebration on a bus as arrivals of the, quote, Ukrainian diaspora speaks in a, well, suspicious U.S. voice. It turns out that this, quote, refugee is Natalie Jeresko, serving as Ukraine finance minister immediately following the Maidan U.S.-orchestrated coup there in 2014, and turning up there from her rather unconventional prior position as a U.S. State Department official and Ukrainian investment banker. And next stop after that, just as curious, economic administrator in Puerto Rico. Okay, let's continue. Uh, War against innocent people. I oppose the assault on Donetsk, do you? The shelling of the people of Donetsk, do you oppose that? You know. No? Are you kidding? Why are, why are civilians being killed you know in Donetsk what? and Lugansk? Do you oppose that? And you saw the exchange right there. I think it was very revealing. And these were actually significant figures, um, not only in the diaspora, but within the Ukrainian government itself. I didn't know they were coming. 
I didn't know who was coming. I just showed up at the Capitol. I was actually hoping to be the one reporter who actually asked critical questions of our representatives here in the U.S. on why they were going to authorize another $45 billion to continue this dangerous proxy war throughout 2023. And what I found was a completely locked down Capitol. It looked like the days after January 6th, except the fences were lower. There were no members of Congress, although I did catch a lost Senator Joe Manchin who basically refused to speak to me. Senator, do you know how much we've, how many billions we've sent to Ukraine? We're gonna send a lot more. Yeah, you wanna send more? Oh, absolutely, I'm, in, I'm all in, I'm all in. You're all in? Yeah. We are looking right now in the United States at a 1.7, think about this, trillion dollar omnibus bill. American citizens are saying 1.7 trillion for what? We're wondering, where are we going to pay for our operation? What What is our goal? Are you suggesting, does this intimate that we are involved in a war? That we are a participant in this? That that we are a co-combatant? Does Is that what this means? Because if it does mean that, I don't think a lot of Americans will particularly care for that. We never signed on to this. We're getting to the point right now where people don't really understand it. And frankly, maybe common sense may prevail because the one issue that nobody is talking about is peace, ending it, the cessation of hostility. That's it. It is somehow absent and void from the, from the rubric of conversation. Maybe, I hope, we're getting to that point where we say, enough. And now on Arts Express. was Italian actress Monica Bellucci as a troubled mother in the film Ville Marie, and the actress always in pursuit of challenging roles, including as Maria Magdalene in Passion of the Christ, The Matrix, many incarnations, as a Bond girl alongside Daniel Craig in Spectre, and in one of her first roles as Dracula's bride in Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula and possibly the most brutal rape scene in movies in Gaspar Noé's Irreversible. Bellucci joins us from Paris to discuss her current portrayal as the late opera star Maria Callas on stage around the world in Letters and Memories, and as the doomed icon Anita Ekberg in The Girl in the Fountain, along with a look back at her inspirations, Sophia Loren, Fellini, Rossellini, De Sica, and Visconti. First, some scenes from Maria Baikalis, the inspiration for the actress's stage production, then Monica Bellucci. There are two people in me. I would like to be Maria, but there is the Callas that I have to live up to. Who has to win, Maria or Callas? <laughs> What brings you out to the line? Maria Carla, she's the greatest. Only for her would I do this. To miss her would be really a crime. This woman is undoubtedly the greatest singer of this century. As a technician, she's magnificent. As an actress, she is magnetic. Money 
many people are under the impression that you're Italian. Not only was I born in New York, but I'm rather proud of that, too. Leonard Bernstein calls Adam Collis your electricity. I'm not answering any interview. Now stop it. When you push me around, I don't like yeah. it. <laughs> I cannot do those lousy performances. I want new performances. They well. You really did fire Maria Callas from the Metropolitan. Maria Callas isn't fired. Maria Callas is severed. Glory goes to people's heads, not my head. Glory terrifies me. I would have preferred to have a happy family and have children. I would have given up this career with pleasure. But destiny is destiny, and there's no way out. Aristotle Onassis needs a good friend. Onassis needs me as a friend because I would tell him the truth. Not that you men like the truth. An artist develops. You do things by instinct. But we learn, we suffer, we mature. I have to feel what I do. Hello, Monica Bellucci, and welcome. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm happy to be with you. What is it about the life and art of Maria Callas that led you to want to portray her on stage for this production? Oh, but actually, uh, Tom Wolf, the director, made a beautiful documentary called Maria by Callas, and he did an extensive research, including into Maria's letters. And uh, these letters and memoirs were so beautiful that he had the idea to make a show, and uh, and he asked me to be part of it. And I was very scared, first mm-hmm. of all, because it was my first time on stage. But I, I couldn't resist mm-hmm. because uh, the letters and memoirs were so full of vulnerability and emotion that I had the feeling that I could touch her soul. And and this experience uh, uh, really. Through this experience, I learned so many things about my work uh, because the relation with the public is so different. There is something very direct, artisanal, sincere. It's like for for one hour and a half, you share the same breath with the public. So it's a very strong emotion, very intense, beautiful, uh, but, you know... um, the way how we do is new all the time because we 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 do the show in three different languages french english and italian and we change uh, theaters all the time because we did the show in italy france uh england and portugal uh monte carlo istanbul and now we come to to new york and you once said that Sophia Loren inspired you to become an actress. How so? Yes, of course. You know, I come from Italy and, you know, all those women, incredible leading ladies, uh, Sophia Loren and Anna Magnani, Ginella Brigida. Um, of course, you know, through those women, I could have the possibility to dream and uh, if today I do movies, uh, it's because, you know, they really inspired me a lot. And it was a special time in Italy at that time because all the films with incredible directors like Fellini, Rossellini, Visconti, De Sica, you know, they, they were so international. And those actresses, they became international through Italian films. Today is a bit different. So it's a bit different. If you wanted to make a career, you need to travel around the world. But, you know, we still have great directors, uh, even today. Sorrentino Garrone, Alice Rockwacker, you know, all international directors. But it's true that, you know, Italian movies, they don't, they, they have less possibilities today to, to be international. And in what ways do you identify with Callas artistically and dramatically? Uh, uh, what can I say? 
in this show, we depict more Maria than Callas. Of course, I knew uh, the artist, I knew the soprano, uh, I mean, one of the greatest soprano of all time, uh, but I didn't know the woman. And through those letters, I had the possibility to get in touch with the, the part of Callas that is not in the, pro in the public eye. Um, a few years ago, um, I did um, a TV series, Mozart in the Jungle, with Gael Garcia Bernal, and I had to play um, an opera singer. And I did some research uh, to learn the movements and to know how to move on stage. So about Caballene, Trebko, all those great singers, and Maria Callas, of course. But, uh, you know, I knew the art, I knew the artist, I knew the opera singer, but I didn't know the, the person. And through those letters, I, I, I had the, the possibility to see what there was behind. And maybe this part touched me even more because I could see that she was, uh, she was a fighter. Uh, and maybe that's why she's still inspiring today because she was a woman that had the courage to follow her heart. And she was unpredictable because she sacrificed all her youth and uh, childhood for her work. And then when she met Onassis, through him, she discovered her femininity and wanted to live it fully. Uh, so she was such a courageous woman. And... Uh, and I think the women today are still learning from a woman like her. And I think that the greatest wound of her life wasn't Onassis. It was that she didn't have family, she didn't have children, and especially that she often spoke about her uh, unhappy childhood and the difficult relationship that she had with her mother and her sister. So I think that uh, what is so interesting and is the duality between the diva and, uh, and a woman with a simple heart, the one who died of sadness, uh, of a broken heart. Now you're renowned for taking especially challenging roles as an irreversible and now is artist and revolutionary Tina Madadi in the upcoming dramatic series, Radical Live. So what was it about Madadi that led you to be inspired to portray her? But listen, it's incredible you ask me about this project because actually it was a project that I would love to make it, but then really never happened. Ah. And uh, uh, but uh, actually, it, it's interesting that you say, that you talk about her, because she was another very courageous woman, Italian woman. They had the, the courage to move from her uh, little Italy somewhere and went to America and had the possibility to express herself as an artist. But uh, actually... We didn't make the TV series, not yet, actually. Not yet. <laughs> Who knows, maybe one day, you know. It, but it's interesting for me to explore those women. They have so much to say. And uh, women that had the possibility to, uh, to exist in a man's world mm -hmm. some way. And uh, that's why uh, I did films like... Uh, um, the Passion of Jesus Christ, or Irreversible, Malena, um, women that, you know, courageous women in some way. And it's incredible how uh, when you make choices in your work, you express part of yourself some way. And, um, and, and uh, I, I just did the film called The Girl in the Fountain, uh, it's a film about Anita Ekberg, and even her, uh, she was a woman that had the courage to, to leave Sweden and went to Los Angeles. Uh, it became a star. Uh, she won a Golden Globe as 
a new young actress, and then she went to Italy. She did La Dolce Vita with Fellini. So, you know, I'm always very interested in in women that have something to say. <laughs> and you once said, quote, my advice, eat well, drink well, have good sex, and laugh a lot. The rest comes all on its own, unquote. Please elaborate. <laughs> oh, my God. This is, uh, I know where you took this, it was an interview for uh, uh, James Bond. Yes, because it was a, such a moment. You know, I was 50 years old, and uh, I did James Bond, and it was such a revolutionary thing, you know, that I was 50 and being in a film like that. But, you know, it was just a way to say that when you're 50, you're still alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what would you like to convey with your performance of letters and memoirs to have the audience understand about Callis? Actually, what, just, you know, what happened to me, Maria Callis said that music inspired her and she wanted to share this with her audience, with her public. All I can say is that when I read the letters and the memoirs, uh, I was so inspired that I want to share this with other people. And uh, so the last performance is going to be at the Beacon Theater in New York in uh, January 27th, uh, 2023. And it is such a coincidence because Maria Callas was born in New York in 1923, and uh, the last performance of the show, an international show, it's going to be in 2023, so in New York, when she was born. So it's such a beautiful coincidence. We are doing a documentary about the show, uh, and um, so it's going to be... um, something that is going to stay, you know. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And when Monica Bellucci looks in the mirror, what does she see? Um, A mother that once in a while does some acting. (laughs) 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 And in delving into her life and work, what most surprised you about Maria Callas? But because it was a difficult time, she, even, you know, not many women would be so uh, independent the way she was. And um, um, and also, I mean, really, she, many people used to say that she had a temper, uh, that she could be very hard. But actually, she was just uncompromising and completely dedicated to her work with all her heart and soul and um, and and she fought uh, to have really her success and and even with her voice because the voice is such a delicate instrument and she was completely dependent of this instrument so i think that when life destroyed uh the woman like this is what happened actually even the artist was destroyed and how would you compare or contrast the challenges both you and maria callas have faced in the male dominated entertainment world oh um, today is much easier because <laughs> we can't compare actually but that's why it's interesting to see uh, women like her the way how she react to the situation of that time. And from that, we can learn so many things. Today, so many things. And today, of course, it's much easier for us as women. We, we have the right to say what we think. And uh, even though, you know, it's going to be a long a process uh, of evolution, but we are in an evolution, and I think that the the war doesn't doesn't bring us anywhere. I think that we have to find a common ground of communication, you know, between men and women. Okay, thank you so much, Monica Bellucci, for calling into our show from Paris.
Thank you so much. Bye. And for more information about Monica Bellucci's letters and memories honoring the 100th birthday anniversary of Maria Callas next month is online at goldstar.com. Everybody, this is Graham Nash from the Hollies and Crosby, Stills and Nash and Crosby, Nash and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Yes, I've been in a lot of bands. I want to say aloha and fond wishes to everybody listening to Arts Express. Hey, this is Jack Shalom. Recently here in New York City, our mayor authorized a public service announcement which featured a perky young woman telling us what to do in case a nuclear bomb fell. Well, after listing what to do, she applauds us by saying, you got this. Well, <laughs> we were kind of horrified by it. So we here at Arts Express thought it might be fun to write our own version of that PSA. So, New York City's just been nuked. Don't ask me how or why. So, what do we do? One, go inside your spacious luxury apartment fast. Staying in your car is not an option. Two, stay inside. Close the doors and windows and order in from your favorite four-star restaurant. You've got this. Let us in. Where can we go? Let us in. Let us in. We need protection too. How come this luxury house is taking over your neighborhood? Excuse me, who are you? We just heard the public service announcement and it said to go inside fast. But I meant go inside your own spacious luxury apartment. Yeah? Well, we don't have apartments because the city's being gentrified. And who can afford to keep a car in this city? But that's not my problem. And how come we got nuked? I told you not to ask me how or why. Give us housing! Stop the war! Abolish nuclear weapons! Give us housing! Stop feeding us propaganda! Get out of here and follow step three! Stay tuned for official updates! You got this! Rather than tuning in to useless official updates, it might be better to stay tuned to Pacifica and Arts Express if you're the kind of person who asks how and why. Listener-sponsored radio where people talk about stopping nuclear war before it starts. And you've been listening to a satirical public service announcement written by Sheila Hamanaka, and featuring Lucy McMichael, Keyshawn Lucky, and Pearl Schiffer. This is Jack Shalom for Arts Express with host Prairie Miller. And now on Arts Express, Burrow on the Global Television Beat, what to watch in the new year or not 
the worst and honorable mentions in this two-part series. First, some seeds from one of them, The Cleaning Lady. Interested in waiting tables downstairs? I can make that happen for you. No, thank you. I'm fine. Just trying to help out. I don't need that kind of help. You too good for it? Let go of me. Who the hell do you think you're talking to? Get off me! What's wrong? Give me a knife! How'd you know how to do that? Just the cleaning lady. I can help you make this disappear. You have a great attention to detail. I take pride in my work. I want you on call. Everybody's got a dark side. You and I are both in a country that's not our own. Deep down in their blood. It's not about doing things the right way or the wrong way. Everybody's got a price. Any way you can. When they're all why do you want me to work for you? Because I don't want to have to kill you. Wipe everything clean. I did what I did to stay alive. You need to stay invisible. Your son is sick. I can help you. Tony De La Rosa? We have a few questions for you. This is not who I am. Everybody got a dark side. And darling, this is mine. This is Bro on the Global Television Beat, Breaking Glass. Today's episode, 2022 series, Rising Above the Corporate Glut. Worst series, that won the Gilded Age, this high-budget recreation of an upper-class New York at the turn of the last century, was compared to Edith Wharton. A not very adept comparison, though, because Wharton had a sharp social eye that she cast on the contradictions of that life, whereas this series simply wants to validate wealth as it gazes uncritically on its social climbing characters. The supposed tension between old wealth and new wealth is simply instead a celebrating of the ultimate compatibility of both. In the same vein as Apple TV's Severance, a dour though it's at points supposed to be funny, supposed expose of the alienation of work and private life, but which instead functions as a smokescreen to conceal the real-life work grievances that prompted organizing of Apple's workers to have more say in a workplace that silences them while claiming it is a progressive space in touch with their needs. Not greenwashing, but workwashing of the real tensions in the Apple family by focusing on a false issue. Peacemaker. A waste of a James Gunn, he of Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's the new head of Warner's DC franchise script. John Cena, as the lead doofus, is not funny, and neither is the show, which attempts to be a DC satire of action series and instead reads more like Marvel's Howard the Duck. Outdone in this stupid action hero category by Reacher, which at least had in its treatment of a not-too-bright action hero, as Richard Woodmark was once described, the courage of its own sordid convictions. Worse still was the highly praised Pam and Tommy, an empty portrayal of an empty movie star rock star couple distinguished by Seth Rogen's disgustingly putrid working class builder who is nothing more than a mass of seething resentments. Both the series and Rogen are being honored this award season. Fairview. This Inside the Entertainment Industry Beltway series blatantly celebrates L.A. culture with its group of media-saturated and overly savvy kids with nothing on their minds beyond their self-referential knowledge of the industry. Yuck. Gives new meaning to the word insipid. Moon Knight's She-Hulk. Two Marvel series 
that rather than expanding the Marvel Universe illustrated the potential retrograde quality of that space. The first was the worst. Oscar Isaac's at first likable dweeb character instead turns into a psychotic murderous hero in pursuit in Egypt of Ethan Hawke's turbaned villain in episodes that hark back to the worst of colonial Hollywood of the 30s and 40s. She-Hulk, on the other hand, constituted a geek's idea of what female liberation looks like. With the lawyer, once she transforms into the green monster, completely forgetting her case against a corporate polluter and instead grappling with a costumed unidentified female supervillain and then joining a corporate law firm. Not a satire of a professional career woman's lives and traumas as it pretends to be, but rather simply a billboard on which to advertise other Marvel products. Good for the company, not so good for viewers. The Sandman, British DC superhero horror hokum featuring upper-class British accents in a 1916 manner that simply reads like generic whiteness. This is the kind of series that, had it been allowed to continue Lovecraft Country with its Afrocentric take on the horror genre, would have preempted. Unfortunately, since that series was allowed to die after one season, this kind of churlish childness continues to be reborn. Honorable mention, Dark Winds, one of five notable indigenous series encompassing two continents, all of which deal with peoples under pressure. This most prominent, but not the best, series on AMC+, Plus features indigenous actor Jean McLaren, also on Reservation Dogs, as a tribal cop contending with a history of abuse, including forced sterilization on Navajo land, and a racist FBI agent as he attempts to solve a brutal robbery. Canada's Indigenous Channel produced another season of Tribal, available on Amazon, which highlighted, again, the tensions between Canadian and reservation police. Australia's Tropo, centered in Queensland, also on Amazon, involved an Indigenous Aboriginal female aiding a disgraced cop in solving a murder that looks simply like a crocodile fatality. The Australian Indigenous Channel likewise produced True Colors on Peacock about an Aboriginal cop who must solve the murder of a young girl amid the new wealth about to arrive in the local town because of the now global prominence of Aboriginal art. Finally, The Tourist on Netflix tracks an amnesiac Irish visitor to the outback as he struggles to regain his memory and to figure out his relationship to his Indigenous girlfriend as, all the while, he is being tracked by gangland killers. In the detective genre, but each employing the genre to investigate aspects of the inequality of global indigenous treatment. Women of the Movement, season one of this ABC miniseries, now on Hulu, recounts the story of Mamie Till, the mother of Emma Till, who launched a nationwide campaign to secure justice for her son, a victim of Mississippi racism. Actually, a multi point of view recounting of the murder from the perspective of not only the mother, but also the colonized population of African Americans in that state as they slowly find their voice and come forward in one of the earliest moments of the civil rights struggle. Run the Burbs, Canadian series featuring a mixed Asian and Indian family that recognizes a cosmic demographic shift in celebrating not the whiteness, but the diversity of the suburbs, making of those former conservative enclaves a multicultural utopia. Hats off also to the Nigerian wedding in Lagos episodes of Bob Hart's Abishola, and especially the wedding itself, where the suburban Detroit sock vendor and his wife integrate themselves into the joyful rituals of the Nigerian celebration. From, there have been many post-loss series with the group Maroon Somewhere, La Brea, Manifest, The Leftovers, but this series on epics which stars a haunting Harold Perrineau from Lost about a group who do not know where they have surfaced and have to investigate the strange rules of their new world is, for its intriguing setup and its enduring multicultural characters, the best. Red Light, the series streaming on Netflix, a product of Belgium and Netherlands TV, centers on three women with its lead character as sex worker trapped by her pimp. The connection between the three and especially the struggle of the lead character with her own demons to find herself worthy to break away from her tormentor drives this series as it highlights trafficking between Antwerp and Amsterdam. Conversation with Friends, the second Hulu adaptation of a novel by the class-conscious writer Sally Rooney after last year's triumphal Normal People, is only superficially aware of the class elements of the interaction of its four characters, but is generous in the way it suggests that normal bourgeois relations are limited and instead describes the abundance available in transcending them. Abbott Elementary. 
ABC again, the most progressive of uh, network stations, broadcast this series, streaming on Hulu, that highlights the plight of both teachers and students as they attempt to confront the war on public school budgets as more money goes to more segregated and upper-class charter schools, as well as to the U.S. military and the war in Ukraine. The single-minded focus of this series on this lack marks it as a landmark socially adept sitcom. Chivalry and Reboot. Speaking of sitcoms, the two funniest were first Steve Coogan's rom-com, of an aging producer and a liberated director, Sarah Soleimani, who is more than his match. Season one ends with her explaining she will not be with him because, one, you're too selfish and won't be a good father, two, I'm married, and three, you'll leave me for a 25-year-old in five years. Wise and wisecracking about the new Hollywood, attempting and often backsliding and letting go of its misogynist ways. The first scene of Steve Modern Family Leviton's Hulu series Reboot is one of the funniest of the year, as a network meeting skewers the lack of creativity in its recirculating old series. Unfortunately, the rest of the series then jettisons that satire somewhat in favor of Leviton's usual warm and fuzzy family relationships, the most egregious of which is Paul Reiser's, a co-head writer on the rebooted show, obnoxious attempts to reconcile with his also-in-charge daughter. Riser from the earlier Mad About You is a traditional loud-mouthed, obnoxious sitcom character who in this series is saved, tolerated, and condoned by his willingness to change in a series of heartfelt moments that belie the more vicious and more accurate satire that surrounds these moments. North Sea Connection, The Cleaning Lady. Both series highlight populations in peril. The Irish series is about methamphetamine being brought into that country by entrepreneurial activities of the brother of a woman who operates a fishing trawler on the coast. The series spotlights the way survival in this remote village, formerly self-sufficient in the wake of an attack on self-sufficiency by the global import economy, also necessitates criminal activity. The first season of Fox's The Cleaning Lady, based on an Argentine series and set in Las Vegas, is an apt description of the compromises this family of two working-class illegal immigrant mothers must make in the face of the constant onslaught unleashed against them by employers, the underworld, and the government. In the second season, the show loses its way, jettisons the plight of the women, and moves towards the gangster plot in a way miraculously avoided in season one. Both series available on Hulu. And finally, The White Lotus. Season two of Mike White's exploration of the callousness of the American upper middle class as they journey abroad here in Sicily will often write on point here in an ending that seemed to reconcile the worst behavior of the most privileged couple, compromised its critique, and for that is booted down to honorable mention. Not since Henry James has an American writer chronicled the upper classes with such unromantic clarity, and it is hoped that the next, already commissioned season, will return to the colonized colonizer moment of season one's look at L.A. characters frolicking amid the quasi-poverty of the Hawaiian natives. This is Bro on the Global Television Beat, signing off for 2022 and Breaking Glass. "'Twas the end of December and feeling like hell. COVID and flu do these things ring a bell. Preemptions and scrambling to get the work done. The rain and the snow and the where is the sun? Inspiration was meager. The cupboard was bare. There was nothing to say. I had nothing to share. I was feeling the blues and I have to confess, I was stuck for a piece." for the next Arts Express. I longed for a party, but had nothing to quaff. The studio's empty, the mics are turned off. A party tonight seemed an unlikely quest, for who in the world would I find now as guests? I laid down my head on the volume controls. My mind went to swimming, just lost in dark holes. The nightmares were scary. I was swimming in fear, when all of a sudden, I thought of the year. Yes, 
the year that had passed and all we had done, the guests on the show, the actors, the fun, the writers, directors, the Arts Express crew, the artists and singers, the films we reviewed. They were all there on tape of the digital sort. We had friends all the year, but forever they're caught. The radio show has preserved all their words. Their sounds and their voices are there to be heard. I put on my headphones and plugged in the plug. I opened my laptop with one eager tug, and looking at folders and all of the files, I read all their labels and started to smile. For there was the one that encouraged me most, a folder marked Guests with the Arts Express host. Inside of this folder, this laptop library, were all of the year's interviews with host Prairie. I could splice them together, invite them to tea. Oh, what a movable feast that would be. Between my two headphones, the left and the right, we'd be carousing the whole blooming night. So I welcomed again to my digital ears the folks on our shows of this previous year. I sat back, imagined me downing ten beers and all of those guests now surrounding me here. There's Judd Hirsch and John Voigt, both actors supreme. Alan Cummings on board, a movie star dream. Tom Arnold's appeared and he's joining our clan. He once was known better as Mr. Roseanne. Raise up our glasses and then down the hatch. Here's to comedian Ms. Rachel Drash. And here's a fine actress you'll remember tomorrow, the glorious sounds of Andrea Riseborough. And by the hors d'oeuvres shines Jordana Brewster. Wherever we can, we're so happy to boost her. And somewhere up high, she seems heaven sent, that actress and model, the spelt Lala Kent. And if you feel guilty, well, please let it go. You're all presumed innocent, claims Scott Turow. It's time for good fun, and it's time to turn on. Let the bygones be the bygones, says stuttering John. Hail to the artists, and hail to the gang. Hail to Don Lemon, and hail Stephen Lang. And adding his presence with Italian sauce, hits our friend Tony Danza, who knows who's the boss. Montel Williams arrived, and he's talking the talk. He's stolen our guest, Mr. Patton Oswalt. And there, by the punch bowl, once more we've been blessed, from Cagney and Lacey, the tough Sharon Gless. The musicians have entered. We're having a bash. Edgar Winter is playing, and so is Graham Nash. And rocking our world while we drink and we dine, it's Vanilla Fudge frontman, the groovy Mark Stein. Jim Messina's arrived without Kenny Loggins. Excuse me, he says as he goes off eggnoggin. And who is that there who's glowing with fame? Why, musician performer, Alana Hain. Directors, renowned by the lads and the ladies, respected by all. Hi-ho, Terence Davies! And Justin from Denmark, a director too modest. Let's roll out the carpet for Mr. Bal August. And waving to us from behind her cell phone, the streaming hit Hunger Games, Jenna Malone. And just then, who should come in from the snow? Flown in from Paris, but our own Dennis Bro. Behind him is all of our own Arts Express crew. You know the ones that do what they do. The Arts Express players who act and transform. We love all the roles that we've heard them perform. So thanks to you, Mary and Lucy and Pearl, who played women and men and young boys and young girls. Keyshawn and Josh are Shakespearean treasures. We heard both of you in Measure for Measure. Marty and Julius and Lisa, the same. Eve, Linda, Vivian, spot on their game. Let's not forget thespians Ricky and Joe, all great additions to the Arts Express show. And thank you to Sheila, who wrote us a sketch and helped us to laugh in this New Year's home stretch. But let's face it, my friends, there'd be no way to hear without Max, Sean, and Reggie to help engineer. As the party winds down, as I turn off the tape, there's one last thought ere I make my escape. I've thanked all the guests, or so I have said, but really I fear 
you've been slightly misled. True, we honored some guests, we've had a fun time, we cheered on our friends and spoken in rhyme, but all of this hoopla you see will not do, because the greatest of the Arts Express crew has been you. Yes, thank you, dear listeners, who are here every week, live and in person, to hear us all speak. We're eternally grateful for the fans far and near, and so to all, happy radio and a happy new year. This is Jack Shalom for Arts Express with host Prairie Miller. Hey, Prairie, let's dance. There we go. Happy New Year. And that's all we have time for today on Arts Express, Expression in the Arts. And if you'd like to express yourself too, you can write to us at theradiogoddess at gmail.com. And we'll go out now, as each year, in recognition of the challenges ahead for all of us in 2023, the prophetic and timeless music of Jimmy Cliff. Such a tr-